Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when you're listening to this. This is Nancy Johnson again. I am an attorney in Littler's Orlando office. I'm here today with Kimberly Dowd again, also of the Orlando office of Littler. Hi, Nancy. I'm happy to be here. Yep, the last few podcasts, as you know, we've been focusing on vaccinations, vaccination plans for employers, and I thought we'd go ahead and continue that discussion today as this issue is a very high priority for our clients and and for employers nationwide. That's right, Nancy. In fact, earlier this week, Littler released survey findings from more than 1,800 in-house counsel, HR professionals, and C-suite executives regarding their thoughts on vaccination issues, including mandatory vaccination policies. According to the survey, nearly half of those surveyed are extending remote work through the summer, and many employees are not tying return to the office to vaccination. Many employers currently are unlikely to mandate COVID-19 vaccination due to concerns they have over employee morale, company culture, and employee resistance. Yeah, but I also saw that about 43% of those polled indicated that they're still considering mandatory vaccination policies and they're focused on encouraging vaccinations. I think there's a lot of, you know, questions still out there. Like we discussed with Finn Presley last week, a lot of employers are still considering incentivizing their workforces by providing vaccination information to their employees, offering vaccine administration on site, offering paid time off for employees to get vaccinated and providing other incentives. As you know, too, right after the last podcast, the EEOC announced that they're going to provide more guidance on incentives also. So we'll be awaiting that information. The Littler survey also touched on additional concerns that employers have with unionized workforces. And I thought maybe we could focus on some of those concerns today. Yep, sure, Nancy. While union membership has declined over the years, currently representing only about 11% of the workforce, there are still key consideration those employers must vet. For example, and we can drill down into this further, companies with union employees that want to implement mandatory vaccination policies will need to carefully review their collective bargaining agreements, determine whether any type of bargaining is required in their agreements, and even if not, whether they nevertheless want to involve their union representatives in the discussion to help set up their vaccination policies, whether mandatory or voluntary, for success. All right, well, let's start with the question on any unionized employer's mind and how it relates to them and their unions. Can employers mandate vaccines for their unionized workforces? We're currently not aware of any mandates for the COVID-19 vaccine. But yes, if a government order actually mandates vaccines, then the law is clear. An employer has no duty to bargain over this non-discretionary change in terms and conditions of employment. An employment, an employer, excuse me, must still bargain over the effects of the vaccination requirement. Interestingly, some states do mandate certain healthcare workers receive the flu vaccine annually, so it's possible down the road some state or local governments may implement similar requirements for the COVID-19 vaccine. So in the past, we've talked about, you know, employers making the decision, and now you're talking about a government order requiring it. Um, Absent a government order, can employers still unilaterally mandate the vaccines for unionized workforce? Remember at a previous podcast when you told me if you ask an attorney a question, you get an attorney response? Well, now I get to say to you, it depends. 
Absent a government mandate, unionized employers must review their collective bargaining agreements, as many contain what's called a management rights clause, expressly permitting them to create and enforce operational policies, procedures, or standards employees must follow. Other CBA provisions may require the employer maintain the health and safety of their workforce. For example, many hospitals have CBA language allowing a hospital to take any reasonable action necessary to maintain the efficiency or safety of the hospital, its patients or employees, or to take any actions necessary in situations of emergency. The CBA will set forth any contractual obligations related to a mandatory vaccine policy. If there is no government mandate and an employer's CBA does not expressly authorize an employer to mandate vaccinations, employers wanting to require vaccinations should consider requesting midterm collective bargaining on the issue if the collective bargaining agreement allows them to do so. Okay, so basically look at the contract terms, right? That's, that's right. <laughs> and, and so you're mentioning bargaining over the effect of implementing a mandatory vaccination program. What kind of bargaining obligations may a unionized employer have? So even if an employer can mandate the vaccines under their contractual obligations and, and rights under the CBA, they may have to bargain over issues impacting their workforce, like will certain categories of employees be required to vaccinate while others are not? And in what order will those employees be vaccinated? Will the employee vaccinate on property during an employee shift? Well, didn't we talk about that previously, concerns about handling on-site vaccinations? Yes, we did. So go back and listen to that earlier podcast regarding <laughs> those concerns. Um, and also some other issues that employers may have to bargain over is, will the employees receive additional compensation or other incentives if the vaccine is administered by a third party during non-working hours? How to handle an employee who refuses to vaccinate Will an employee be subject to discipline or other consequences in that circumstance? Can an employer insist on a release? Whether or not an employer has bargaining obligations, they should also consider early union support. This could increase the success of a vaccination program, and so they should consider getting their union representatives involved. Okay, so we've talked in the past about EEOC, DOL, OSHA, all kinds of different guidance. Is there anything from a unionized perspective, is there anything that the NLRB has come out with to provide any guidance to a unionized workforce on COVID vaccination? Not that we've seen so far, but there is useful guidance regarding flu immunizations from a case back in 2011, Virginia Mason Hospital. Without getting bogged down in the details of that case, it involved a hospital that implemented a mandatory flu vaccination policy, which was later through arbitration found to be unauthorized. So the hospital then implemented a new policy that required non-immunized nurses either to wear a protective face mask or to take antiviral medication. The union filed an unfair labor practice charge claiming that the hospital had to bargain over that new policy. Ultimately, it was found there were no bargaining obligations related to the new policy because of the wording of the management rights clause in the collective bargaining agreement. This shows the importance of what we discussed earlier, reviewing existing CBAs to determine whether there is sufficient management rights language to permit an employer to mandate vaccinations as a condition of employment. 
All right. So employers in a non-union environment are bracing themselves for employee protests related to COVID-19 vaccinations. Is that present in unionized workforces too? What legal risks, if any, can arise if, you know, a group of workers protests, if a union protests the vaccine as part of this anti-vaccination movement that we know is present in America? Uh, both union and non-union employers may face anti-vaccine movements or simply employees with concerns regarding vaccine safety. Under Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act, employees may engage in what is called concerted activities, either for the purpose of collective bargaining or for other mutual aid or protection. The portion of the law related to mutual aid or protection focuses on the goal of the activity and whether there's a link or a direct nexus between that activity and matters concerning the workplace or employees' interests. In other words, employee efforts to improve their lot as employees other than through the immediate employee-employer relationship. Generally speaking, an employer may not prohibit conversations or conduct related to working conditions, even if those actions are couched in terms of political or current events. If an employee or group of employees mobilize coworkers to challenge an employer's mandatory vaccine policy, if they contact their legislators, testify before governmental agencies, or join protests or demonstrations, this could be considered protected activity under Section 7, even absent a union. And in certain jurisdictions, employees may rely on state legislation involving protected political activities. Several states, such as California, Colorado, Louisiana, New York, South Carolina, and Utah, have laws prohibiting employers from taking adverse action against employees because of their off-duty lawful political activities. Well, that's a, a lot of great information. I appreciate you going through some of that stuff about, you know, unique situations and things to think about if you have a collective bargaining agreement. Reminder, obviously, to go back and it sounds like look at what your your CBA says already to determine what you can do and, and still have to go through some of the same issues that that non-unionized workforces go through, including this, you know, the, the concern about free speech. It actually reminds me of a question that we received from a listener this week. As, as you know, you and I received a an email asking about residential school settings, such as boarding schools and colleges with dorms and, and vaccine plans in that setting. Um, somewhat surprisingly, in that setting, it seems that there may be even more resistance or more anti-vaccine sentiment than in, in a lot of other settings. College leaders, as you know, say that a return to normal life depends on the vaccine. And as you know, according to uh, President Biden's administration, reopening schools and vaccinating teachers are top priorities. But healthy students at boarding schools and colleges, you know, they're not at the top of the list. They're usually they're in that that level two or B category because of their age, their general age. But interestingly, although the share the share of Americans who intend to get the vaccine has increased. Young people aged 18 to 29 are among the least likely to say that they would get the shot if it were available to them today. Well, as you said, President Biden is focused on getting students back to in-person learning, as is the governor of our state of Florida. How does that age group's resistance impact that goal? Well, as you know, a vaccine isn't necessarily a prerequisite for reopening lower schools, including those in K through 12. Children and young adults are at lower risk for contracting COVID, and growing research suggests that neither young people nor schools pose a significant threat of transmission. 
Meanwhile, students around the world are experiencing unprecedented learning loss due to school shutdowns. So it shouldn't affect too much those in, in the K through 12 age group. You know, according to the CDC and, and other guidelines and everything, the, the college students, like I said, and, and students who are gonna be living in dorms are going to fall into phase two. Um, Dr. Fauci has said that, that phase two should be widely available by April, around April of this year. And everyone who wants to get a vaccine should be able to go get one by April or May. However, again, as cautious as we are, you know, vaccine distribution depends on state agencies or individual rollout plans and, you know, demand and supply and, and everything's a little bit up in the air still. But again, back to my original point is that college leaders continue to delay most plans until a vaccine becomes widely available, unlike the K-12 schools. A lot of colleges froze programs and postponed events. Now colleges are seeming hopeful that next fall will return the campuses to normal, if if we can even say that anymore. Um, the California State University system, as you know, is the first to move totally online last spring. They've now announced that classes are going to resume totally in person by fall of 2021. Obviously, that can change too. The, the COVID vaccine should ease other mitigation strategies, but higher education institutions are likely going to keep some share of learning online and maintain rules around social distancing. Back to the, the anti-vaccination or even just, you know, concern aspect of this, a lot of polls are showing that about one-third of college-age Americans do not want to get the new vaccine. There was a survey in Connecticut of about 600 graduate and undergraduate students, and 30% said that they would not get the vaccine. Another 20% said they were kind of waiting. They weren't sure yet. So can colleges or residential schools even mandate vaccines for students? Well, there was a 1905 Supreme Court ruling that 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 determined that states do wield the power to mandate vaccinations for school children and other populations. So yes, they can. As you noted, or, or as you know, currently all 50 states do require vaccines for illnesses like think about like polio, measles. You know, our kids always have to turn in their their shot records to get into school into public schools, right? Most states do exempt students whose families oppose vaccinations for philosophical, religious, medical reasons. Those are some of the same reasons that we've already talked about that the EEOC picked up on. So, yes, the answer to your question is, is definitely yes, but will they? How much will their student body's voice play into that decision? So, you know, these are all very interesting questions and raise a whole host of new questions that maybe we can talk about next time. Maybe we can can talk about political speech and how that's impacting employers' decisions on this vaccination question. Great. As always, thank you for listening. If you have any additional questions on this topic or another related topic, you can find us at Littler Mendelssohn. You can email us at kdoud at littler, L-I-T-T-L-E-R dot com. Or you can reach Nancy at N-A Johnson at Littler, L-E-R.com. We're both on LinkedIn and we will continue to bring our candid analysis your way to help everyone keep moving forward. Remember, it's a new day in America. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment related issue. 
to discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice. Visit littler.com slash podcasts.